whole family. And we're going to see here in another couple of days when you've got that whole family in town how thankful you are for them. Amen? All right. Boy, i got to say how good the Lord's been to me. I tell you, I, I listen to songs like that, and I, I go down the list of things that the songwriters write about, and I think, you know, I, I've got so many reasons to thank the Lord for what He's done in my life. And uh, I got to thinking the other day, and uh, I can't remember who made a comment about this, but I, I just like to do a backflip. I, I guess I'll preach on it one of these days uh, that, uh, you know, you think about the length of eternity, and that's unfathomable to you and I. We're finite. That means we had a beginning. Uh, and, of course, uh, we're all eternal beings. Even the lost are eternal creatures. They're going to spend eternity somewhere. I completely reject the Seventh-day Adventist notion of annihilation. I believe everyone's going to uh, live, if we can use that term, somewhere forever. But we are finite. And eternity is, a, is, is an unfathomable concept to a human being. And you sit there and wonder, why eternity? Well, what are we going to be doing? I believe one of the things we'll be doing throughout eternity is giving praise and honor and glory to our Lord. You say, why eternity? Well, because it's going to take that long to do Him justice. Amen. Uh, We could praise Him throughout all of eternity. We'd never come to a point where the angels would sit down and be quiet. We'd never come to a point where we'd go to say that next wonderful thing. And the words fail us. All throughout eternity, we'll never find words enough to say how good He's been to us. And He's already been that good to us. But I believe when we get to heaven, the Bible says now we know in part, but then we'll know even as also we are known. I think we're really going to know what He did for us more then than we do now. Luke chapter number 7, the book of Luke chapter number 7. You know, sometimes at holidays, the Lord gives liberty to preach on a topic in keeping with the season. And uh, then sometimes he don't. Uh, who knows? You might need to learn about the virgin birth in August. You might need to be thankful in May. And in November, I believe you need to hear something about your faith because that's what the Lord laid on our hearts to preach about this evening. And so with the Lord's help, I'd like to preach a simple message from Luke chapter number 7. I've preached on this topic before. Uh, but I believe it'll be a help to us. And I believe we need help, don't you? Beginning in verse number 1, the Bible says, Now when he had ended all his sayings in the audience of the people, he entered into Capernaum. And a certain centurion's servant, who was dear unto him, was sick and ready to die. When he heard of Jesus, he sent unto him the elders of the Jews, beseeching him that he would come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they besought him instantly, saying that he was worthy for whom he should do this. For he loveth our nation, and he hath built us a synagogue. Then Jesus went with them, and when he was now not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying unto him, Lord, trouble not thyself, for I am not worthy that thou shouldest enter under my roof. Wherefore, neither thought I myself worthy to come unto thee, But say in a word, and pay special attention to that phrase, but say in a word, and my servant shall be healed. For I also am a man set under authority, having under me soldiers, and I say unto one, and you can underscore that word, say, go, and he goeth, and to another come, and he cometh, and to my servant do this, and he doeth it. 
When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. Now, that's a, that's a tremendous phrase. This man said something that made the Son of God marvel at him. What does that mean to marvel? It means to stand back in amazement. To see something so extraordinary that it causes you to pause and observe it. It says, He marveled at him and turned him about and said unto the people that followed him, I say unto you, I have not found so great faith. No, not in Israel. And they that were sent returning to the house found the servant whole that had been sick. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, the only hope we have of seeing our lives change tonight is that Your Holy Spirit would apply Your Word. And God, if You don't make it real in our hearts and lives, it's nothing but dead religion, and it's all pointless and in vain. But Lord, we pray that Your presence would be real tonight, manifest. We thank You for the presence of the Holy Spirit that's already been felt here in the singing and in the fellowship. And we pray, Heavenly Father, that before we leave here, we would have heard You, not just heard about You, but heard from You. And Lord, been obedient to Your Word and be closer to You for it. If there should be one here that's lost and undone, pray that You convict them of their lost state. Show them Calvary, Lord. Pray that You'd encourage those that are downcast, humble those that are haughty in spirit, but God, that all these things would be done in accordance with Your perfect will. Lord, we pray and ask these things in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. In verse number 9, I want you to look at it again with me. When Jesus heard these things, He marveled at Him and turned Him about and said unto the people that followed Him, I say unto you, I have not found so great faith. Now, I want you to notice there's a comma there. There's a break in the thought. It says, no, not in Israel. I don't know what you believe about it, but friend, I don't believe that Christ was simply saying, I've not found as great a faith as this in Israel. But I believe He was saying, I've not found so great faith, not even in Israel. Christ made the statement about this man's faith that it was exceptional. There was something about this man's faith that was greater than that of those that were around him. Faith is elemental to the Christian life. I can promise you this, if you're not willing to have faith in God, you're not going to have any kind of relationship with Him. In fact, when you got saved, you came by faith to Jesus Christ. Faith is a very important thing. We use it as an abstract ideal sometimes. We talk about faith, and we might say that person's a person of faith, and we try to make faith mean a religious structure, and that's not what it is. And we try to make faith just blind optimism. You ever met somebody that was so optimistic you wanted to vomit? Me too. I've met people like that. Uh, It didn't matter what was happening. I mean, I've met people, too, that if you gave them a $100 bill, they they wouldn't be happy because it wasn't crisp enough. I've met people like that. But then I've met people, too, that you look at, and uh, it doesn't matter what they're going through. they just the power of positive thinking, like old Norman Vincent Peale. It doesn't matter what they're going through. They won't even face the reality of life sometimes. But faith is not just blind optimism either, my friend. Uh, Faith is a steadfast confidence based upon the Word of God. And it's something vital to our everyday Christian walk. I'd like to say a couple things about it before I preach the message and hopefully show you how important it is to have faith. 
The Bible tells us in the book of Hebrews chapter number 11, of course, this is what we might call the faith chapter, that in verse number 3, through faith we understand. If I could have you underscore that, if you are there, underscore it. Through faith we understand. That goes on to say that the worlds were framed by the Word of God so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. And certainly, as far as that being a restrictive statement, that's the only way we can understand creation is by faith. But I would say that anything you understand about God, you understand by faith. It's impossible to know God, to know who God is, to learn about God, to believe anything about God without having faith. So if we're going to understand who God is, you know, there's a lot of people in this world today, they don't understand anything about God. They have a concept of God, but they don't really know anything about Him. You begin to ask them, what do you believe about God? And they come up with all kinds of crazy belief systems. And you ask them, why do you believe that? And they say, well, I don't know, I just do. Well, what if we said that about anything else? What if somebody came to you and said, well, well, what color is the sky? And you said, the sky is green. What color is the grass? The grass is yellow. Sometimes at my house it is, amen. But uh, the grass is yellow. You were to come and say, what does gravity mean? Uh, gravity means that water floats upwards instead of flowing downwards. You know what you'd eventually say? You'd eventually look at that person and say, you don't know what you're talking about. They say, but I believe those things. Why do you believe them? Well, I just believe them. They may have a belief system, but they don't know anything. The only way we can know anything about God is through faith. Through faith we understand. It says in the book of uh, Ephesians uh, chapter number 6, I'd read this to you very quickly, it won't take long. When it's describing the armor of God, it says in verse number 16, Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. So faith is the means through which we defend ourselves. By the way, as you study the armor of God, you'll find that you're never commanded to strive, only to stand. There is no armor for the backside of the soldier. You know why that is? No retreat. The Bible says that mercy and truth follow us all the days of our life. God's got the backside. And there's no retreat. He fights the battle for us. We're commanded to stand, not to strive. But I find it interesting that uh, the devil is not there for close hand-to-hand combat. He shoots fiery darts. But how do we guard ourselves against those things? The Bible says the shield of faith. You know, the devil says all kinds of things to us. I I was thinking as I sang that song, sometimes Satan tempts me. And he'll come along and say things to you. You know, the devil's a liar. He's always been a liar and he's a liar today. And he'll come along and lie to you about God and lie to you about your relationship with the Lord. And just like little fiery darts that he shoots at you all the time. How do you defend yourself against those with the shield of faith? confidence in God's Word and in the truth of You see, without faith, you're indefensible. Without faith, you are prone to the snares of the devil. Faith is vital. It's how we understand things. It's how we defend ourselves. There in Hebrews chapter number 11, I want to read another verse to you in verse 6. It says, But without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. If you are a faithless person, you are a person that does not please God. The Bible says that no matter what we do, all the religious fervor that we may have does not replace faith with God. If you do something for God but do it without faith, it's not pleasing to God. 
I think there's lots of preachers and lots of churches that go through the motions and they've got a lot of organization, they've got a lot of structure. It's a well-oiled machine, but there's no faith in it. And though they may get a lot, quote-unquote, accomplished, nothing, nothing of what they do is pleasing to God. So if you and your walk with God are going to please Him, it's going to be by faith. Faith is a pretty important thing. The Bible says about this centurion in Luke chapter number 7 that his faith was greater than any others. I mean, think of all the men that were in Israel at that time. Uh, This is including the disciples. I mean, uh, Christ could have looked at any of those disciples and said, your faith doesn't measure up to the faith of this centurion. So far as we know, at this time, John the Baptist would have still been alive. He could have looked at John the Baptist and said, your faith doesn't measure up to this man. He could have looked at the high priest and said, your faith doesn't measure up to this. What was it about this man's faith that made it so great? I believe there's three things that we can gain from it. I'm going to be very brief, very quick tonight, very simple. And I'd like to say, first off, that one of the great things about this man's faith is that it was a simple faith. You know, we have complicated the work of God and the relationship that we have with God today. You can get online or you can watch any of these, you know, uh, TBN or Daystar, any of these. Some of you have cable. You're highfalutin, so you get to watch the TBN preachers. You know, I, I, I'm poor. i got basic television, so if I'm going to have, if, if no comedy's on TV, I've got to watch Daystar to get my comedy, amen? And, you know, you watch some of these TV preachers, and uh, every one of them's offering a different book on how to get closer to God. And now it seems like every one of them is offering a different book that's a religious get-rich scheme as well. We've complicated what it means to have faith. We think that faith is a feeling when faith is not a feeling. We think that faith is a religious structure when faith is not a religious structure. We think that faith is optimism when it's not optimism. What encompassed this man's faith? What did this man's faith entail? The Bible says that this centurion had previous knowledge of who Jesus was because this was in uh, Capernaum and he had heard of the miracles that he had done. When Jesus came, he sent his servants out to get him. He had heard of the great things that Christ had done. He had heard the witness in other people's lives. Uh, You may ask yourself sometimes, why is it so important to be vocal about what I believe? Because people are listening to you every single day. People are hearing what you say. When you talk about what God's done in your life, that has an effect on other people. This centurion, he had heard of who Jesus was. And what did he do? He had a basic need. He sent his servants to Jesus. And something I find interesting that I would encourage us all to take note of is this. He didn't just send the servants and say, help us if you can. He didn't just send the servants and say, come down to our house and bless it, if you will. But when he sent the servants, he sent them with a plain, direct, simple request. Look again what it says there in verse uh, number uh, 3. It says, And when he heard of Jesus, he sent unto him the elders of the Jews, beseeching him, what? That he would come and heal his servant. You know what we've done? We have marginalized and trivialized faith today. And part of the design, I believe, of Satan in causing people to believe that faith is merely a religious system is because it takes all the potency out of serving God and out of having faith in God. It's just like prayer. You know, many times when we pray, we pray for vague things. You know, God commands us to do the exact opposite, but to pray for specific things. You know why I think people don't pray for specific things? Because they're afraid God won't answer specifically. But we find in this passage that this man 
simply heard of Christ, had a need, and believed that He could do something about it. I hope I'm not being overly simple tonight, but I'd ask you this question. I want you to answer in your heart. I don't want you to answer out loud. But I'd like for you to ask yourself, do I have some needs tonight? Do I have some heartaches, some loved ones that need Christ? Do I have some things in my life that I need God to intervene in? And most of us would say yes. Then I'd ask you this. Do you believe that God is big enough to handle them? We say that we do many times, and yet many times we do not go to God in prayer over the matter. We say that we believe God can take care of it, but then in many instances we go about in the arm of flesh to take care of it in our way instead of trusting God to accomplish it in His way. See, this man's faith was very simple. He came to Christ and he had or he sent his servants to Christ and he had a specific request. He did not just want a blessing for his house. He did not want a blessing of prosperity and of peace. But he came with a need and he asked that Christ would meet that need. And I believe it's high time that we as Christians get to the place where when we have a need, we take it to God and ask specifically for God to intervene. And then you know what you need to do? You need to make note of it and continue and be persistent. And when God answers, take note that He's answered. I like these prayer request lists that we do. I believe that's good. Do you know why? Because many times we treat God like Santa Claus. We come and we ask and we pray for something, and then we forget about it. When God does answer it, we don't even take note of it. It just blows past our entire perception. We don't even see that God has met and answered a need. You know, many times the answer to our prayer is a long time coming. I don't know about you, but that's happened in my life. And if we're not persistent and deliberate, and if we don't take note of it, we forget. We don't see that whenever that answer finally comes to pass, we say, oh, well, good, that finally worked out. No, God answered. That's what happened. He answered. It was a simple faith. But I want to say, secondly, that his faith was sound. Look at verse number 7. I had you take note of this. It says, Wherefore, neither thought I myself worthy to come unto thee, but say in a word, and my servant shall be healed. That phrase is important. Say in a word. What was his faith based upon? The Bible says in Romans chapter number uh, 10 and verse 17, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Let me tell you what I think one of the main problems is with the name it and claim it uh, sect of Christianity, and there's a lot of problems with them. Let me say first off that carnality is one of the major problems with them, if you really get to know it. But uh, I believe one of the main problems with this premise of just name it and claim it is it encourages believers to put words in the mouth of God. And their faith becomes a self-centric thing instead of a Scripture-centric thing. The Bible says that if you have faith, True faith, the only place that you got it from was from the Word of God. And that tells me something, that true biblical faith must be based upon the promises of God. That's the only thing it can be based upon. We see all manner of things that faith is based upon today. Feeling is one of the major things. People say, well, I know everything's all right because I, I had a, you know, a tingle ran up my spine. <laughs> so everything's fine. I had a good warm feeling, so everything is, is fine. Uh, Friends, sometimes a heart attack will give you that. That don't mean everything's fine. One old preacher used to say, if you're looking for a feeling, come near close to me. I hit you with a brick. I can give you a feeling. 
feeling doesn't necessarily mean anything. Now, you say, preacher, are you against emotion? No, I'm not against emotion. We're emotional creatures. God created us to be emotional creatures. Some of us more than other, amen. Some of you men say that, but... uh, God created us to be emotional. There's nothing wrong with being emotional, but our faith cannot be subservient to our emotion. Faith has to have a foundation other than that. What if our faith is uh, subject to the ability of men and our confidence is placed in men? You say, well, surely nobody put their confidence in men. Oh, I can take you to religion after religion after religion that put their confidence in men. Uh, I can name one particular religion where the word of their religious leader, and he, I won't tell you who he is. He's, uh, Italy's where this, this religion is based out. I'm not going to tell you who he is. He wears a big funny hat. I'm not going to tell you who he is. His name rhymes with hope. Um, no, but Roman Catholicism puts their faith in, in a man's ability, in a man's intellect. Do you realize that, that Pope, when he sits upon the uh, throne there, supposedly his word supersedes that of the word of God. He can say something completely opposite to the word of God and every faithful Roman Catholic would throw away their Bible and take his word as opposed to. People put their faith in all kinds of things. What was it this man's faith was founded in, though? He came and what did he say to Christ? He said, if you'll only say it in a word, just speak it. Just make known your will and your will and your word is enough to accomplish anything. I find it interesting that uh, the men that Christ sent to him made this statement said, He's worthy of this. He's worthy of this. He said, This man that you're going to do this for, he's worthy. But you know what the man said? He said, I'm not worthy. You know, the Bible says God is no respecter of person. This man was not expecting God to answer his prayer because of his own ability or his own self-worth. The men that were around him said, Surely Christ will do something for this man because he's worthy. But this man said, I'm not worthy. My only hope is my faith in the Word of God. That's my only hope. My only hope is that what Christ has said is true. My only hope is that He through His Word can make my servant whole. That's the only hope that I have. The object of His faith was the Word of God. The source was the Word of God. But who was the person of His faith? It was the living Word. He didn't say, well, if I can get a bunch of high priests to come and pray, we'll be okay. But He was looking for a person. Looking for the person of Jesus Christ. I think one of the most damaging elements to Christianity today is that we have taken and substituted principles for a person. We have taken and made Christianity all about the principles of the Word of God, and certainly the Word of God is vital, but we have neglected to stress and emphasize that those principles are embodied in the person of Jesus Christ. Christianity is not about principles, but about a person. When you pray, you're praying to a person. You're not praying to an idol. You're not praying to a religious system. You're not praying to a priest. But you're praying to Jesus Christ. He's the person of this man's faith. Everything was vested in whether or not Christ would answer. He didn't have a backup plan. Let me say, as long as you have a backup plan, it's not faith. As long as there's a plan B, it's not faith. It's not faith until we get to the point where God is the only answer and the only option. You say, are you saying that you ought to be at a place where there's nothing else you can do? No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying you ought to be at a place where you're so desperate about it that even if you have other options, you're not looking to those, but you're looking to God to answer and to make a difference. 
We could look at another instance, and we won't take the time to, but in the book of John, chapter number 4, at the end of John, chapter number 4, uh, when a nobleman's son was healed, what was it that caused his faith to grow? He said, come down ere my child die. He got desperate about his faith. He said, God, you're the only person that I'm looking to. The reason this man's faith was sound because it was based out of the Word of God. It was vested in the person of Christ. If your faith is going to be what it needs to be, it needs to be part of a working relationship with Jesus Christ. Not just something we use as a spare tire, but something that is an everyday element to our life. We see a third thing, that his faith was simple. He asked something directly, specifically for God to do something in his life. His faith was sound. It was based upon the Word of God, the person of Christ. It was not based on whim or feeling or opinion. But I want to say thirdly, that his faith was successful. Look with me at verse number 9. The Bible says, When Jesus heard these things, He marveled at him and turned him about and said unto the people that followed Him, I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. And they that were sent returning to the house found the servant whole that had been sick. We see that his faith received an answer to prayer. The Bible says the prayer of faith shall save the sick. Prayer is of no use if it is not in faith. The Bible says, Whatsoever ye shall uh, ask, whatsoever ye shall pray, believing shall be given unto you. Uh, faith is of no use, or prayer is of no use if a prayer is not prayed in faith. It must be prayed with a believing heart. And I'm struck by that phrase that is used, that it says, When Jesus heard these things, He marveled at it. What happened? He got the Savior's attention. The Savior stopped, stood back, and just looked at him and listened. He commanded the full attention of the Son of God. How did he do that? He did that through faith. I'm interested in the book of Luke when it talks about the woman with an issue of blood that came and reached out and touched the hem of our Savior's garment. And our Lord stopped and said, Who touched me? All around the disciples looked and they said, Are you kidding? You won't find You'll have to look in the Greek to find that, but said, are you kidding? There's people all around us. Everybody's touching you. But he said, no, when that person touched me, they touched me in faith. All around there's people grasping at God and not reaching Him. Why? They're grasping, but they're not grasping in faith. You say, oh, but they're not hoping. Yes, they're hoping, but they're not grasping in faith. It's not founded in the Word of God. Oh, they'd like to know about God, but they're not willing to go to the Word of God to find out about Him, to find the way to Him. The missionary talked about it Sunday morning. There's many ways, the world says, but the Bible says there's one way. I am the way, the truth, the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. That's the only way is through the living Word, through the written Word. Why did this man's faith gain the attention of the Savior? It gained the attention of the Savior because it was real faith was faith founded out of the Word of God and based upon the Word of God. So he received an answered prayer. I want to say, too, that he received an open testimony. The Savior looked at him. I like it says it turned him about. He grabbed hold of his shoulders. He turned him around. He said, I want everybody to look at this man. And I want you to take notice of this man's faith. What was the Savior doing? He's validating this man's faith. He was making known to all these people, this man did not come to me in vain, but he's come to me and I've heard him. The Bible says in Matthew chapter number 6 and verse 6, 
But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. The fact is, when we have true faith, and God does mighty things in our life, people take notice of it. I think one of the saddest things in Christianity today is that Christians have lived in such a powerless manner that we have become the laughing stock of the world. George Mueller once said the man, he had an orphanage, over 2,000 orphans at one time, and this orphanage completely run by faith there in Bristol, England, in the 1800s. And George Mueller said that his heart's desire was to live such a life and to do such things for God that when the world saw it, they would know that there is a living God that hears and answers prayer. When we have true faith and God intervenes in our life, it's usually something that can be seen openly and it's a testimony to a lost and dying world. I believe that if lost sinners believe that our God is dead, it's up to us to prove differently to them. And we, through faith, through depending upon God and seeing Him answer, can get an open testimony to the reality of God. I want to say finally, though, that his faith received the approval of God. He said, I approve of what you've done. I have not found so great faith. I would, I would ask you this question. How much do you really want God's approval in your life? How much do you really want it? The Bible says, if you love me, keep my commandments. That's what Christ said to his disciples. Our love for God is directly manifested by our obedience to him. So the question I would have is this. If you say, oh yes, I love God and I want God's approval, is that manifest by your life? Because God says if you really mean it, you'll, in a proverbial sense, put your money where your mouth is. In a proverbial sense, you're going uh, to the proof is in the pudding, so to speak. You say you love God. If you really love God, are you obeying Him? If we really want God's approval, are we living in such a way that we're getting it? If you're not living by faith, you're not getting God's approval because without faith, it's impossible to please Him. We talked about in Sunday school the matter of giving. And uh, giving is one area of, of life that we can talk about, and there's many others, but I'll dwell on it for just a moment before we close. And in the manner of giving, we talked about the importance of tithing and what is tithing. Is tithing an Old Testament principle? Is it a New Testament principle? Is it relevant uh, to the day of grace in which we live? And we talked about different matters like that. But I made this statement. I think it's vitally important. If you are not giving to the point that it's a sacrifice, then you're not giving to God as much as you should. What's the pattern given in the New Testament? Even under the law, when the example was given of the widow, she gave uh, just the two mites, just, just two mites, not much, not much at all. But it was everything that she had. We've operated under this false pretense today that we take our giving and budget it into our finances in such a way that it's not going to ever cost us anything and we're not ever going to feel it. The truth of the matter is, true New Testament grace-filled giving, they gave first to themselves and they gave liberally and they gave cheerfully, and they gave in such a manner that it affected their life. Why? Why? Because giving is a matter of faith. You think God needs your money? God doesn't need your money. He just knows that the average way to a Baptist's heart is through their wallet. We could say that about any number of things in the Christian life. 
We could say that about the time that we spend. It, listen, if you're not serving God in such a way that it inconveniences you time-wise, then you're not serving God enough. That's what it means to give first of yourself. One old preacher put it this way, nothing has ever been done for God with spare change and spare time. It always takes sacrifice. I believe unless you're having to put things off, unless you're having to miss out on doing things that you would like to be doing, you're not serving God yet. It must be a sacrifice. The Bible says uh, that those that are dead uh, and to sin, those that are uh, when the flesh is in pain, if I, I'll get it here in just a moment, that when the flesh is hurting, when the flesh is suffering, uh, that we've ceased from sin. Until it's an inconvenience from us, it's not a matter of faith. We have to get to the place where God is the supreme object of our faith in our life and our service to Him is the most vital thing that we do. I wonder tonight if you're really living in faith. You can examine your own life, or more importantly, let the Holy Spirit examine your own life. But you know, there's never a bad time to take a step forward in faith. Tonight, there may be some area of your life that you've been struggling with giving it over to God. You know what it's going to take? It's going to take faith for you to give it over to Him. You say, I'm waiting until I'm comfortable. You're never going to be comfortable. Say, I'm waiting for an opportune time. There's never going to be an opportune time. If it's in faith, you're going to have to go against the grain of your flesh and do it in accordance with God's Word. Maybe you've got a loved one that's been struggling in their life. You've been having faith that God's going to intervene. I would encourage you to be persistent with it. Don't ever give up. Don't ever turn back. Don't ever cease to pray. Because many times it takes time. But God always hears the prayer of faith. Always, always, always. With our heads bowed, with our eyes closed, as a musician slips to the piano, Heavenly Father, I'd ask that You'd bless Your Word tonight, bless this invitation. I love You, Lord. I thank You for it. In Christ's name, amen.